This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, bringing you vital information to boost your health, your finances, and your rights. Find out more at carp.ca. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Bob Comsick for Libby's Nimer. Canadians are one of the top consumers of prescription opioids in the world. Think it's a crisis of the young? Well, think again, says the co-author of a new report from the National Institute on Aging, who will discuss its findings. And as the saying goes, Jack, or in our guest's case, Jill, of all trades, but master of none. You'll hear from a trailblazer who very well may be a master of many. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. As this country faces a growing affordable housing shortage, one GTA college is pairing students with seniors in an effort to help find them accommodations. More than 500 Humber College students have signed up. Even at colleges without formal programs like Centennial, some students have been making their own arrangements to stay with seniors, saying there couldn't be a better arrangement. In fact, one couple's been renting out two rooms and a basement to international students for the past 33 years. Two-time Oscar winner Anthony Hopkins makes a convincing play for the hat-trick in the powerful story of Nicholas Winton, who saved Jewish children before the Second World War began in the film One Life. It's a story of bravery of stockbroker Nicholas Winton, gripped by a need to do something as Europe neared the start of the war. He headed to Prague in 1938 and found himself immediately horrified by the situation so many of the young refugees were in. His plan to save them was dismissed as naive by those more hardened by what they'd seen and what they'd found. But he returned to London, determined to help, and with the assistance of his mother, started gathering visas and finding homes. There were few dry eyes at its Toronto Film Festival premiere. One Life will be released in the UK January 5th, with a U.S. release date still to be announced. Some American airports are aiming to make flying more inclusive for those with dementia. A Phoenix woman was trying to prepare her 65-year-old husband, who has Alzheimer's, for a solo flight from Arizona to Oklahoma to visit family. She worried about travelers and airport officials misinterpreting his forgetfulness or habit of getting in people's personal space and felt guilty about not being able to accompany him. She attended a dementia-friendly travel workshop that helped ease some of those fears and also learned about the resources available at Phoenix Sky Harbor International Airport and what assistance airlines can offer when asked. It was the first time the city of Phoenix hosted such a workshop, making it the latest U.S. city pledging to make flying friendlier for people with dementia. 
A new exhibition's opened at London's V&A Museum that's devoted to the life and work of famed French designer Gabrielle Coco Chanel. Curators have brought together close to 200 outfits seen together for the first time, charting Chanel's career that started in 1910, ended with her final collection in 1971. Items showcased include the little black dress, the tweed dress suit, and perfume simply known as Number 5. Gabrielle Chanel Fashion Manifesto runs until February 25th. I'm Bob Comsick, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. The rates of opioid prescriptions in this country have steadily climbed the past 30 years as Canadians have become one of the top consumers of prescription opioids in the world. While the perception of the crisis focuses on the young, a new study's found its older Canadians who have the largest overall consumption rate of opioids, which are widely used to treat pain. All this is found in the latest report from the National Institute on Aging. One of its co-authors is Dr. Samir Sinha. We're really proud of this report, and I'm particularly proud of uh, our lead author and my colleague, uh, uh, Matthew Downer, um, a young medical student currently uh, in, uh, in Newfoundland, um, who is really interested in exploring this issue of, of, of the opioid um, crisis, but from the lens of, of, of our aging population. And it's this, it's this realization that a lot of people are always focusing on the issues in the young, but not appreciating that, the, as you said, the bulk of prescriptions that are being made are in older adults. And while it's not about illegal or illicit use of opioids in this population, it's actually a crisis based on opioids being prescribed and significant complications uh, happening in this population. Surprised by the fi- that particular finding, we'll look at more, but just the fact that it affects the older population so much? Yeah, well, I think it's just, it just doesn't come, um, come to people's minds. That's why we call the report Out of Sight, Out of Mind. Um, we're so focused on young people and, and the tragic deaths that have been happening, but we don't realize that, uh, that really when it comes to opioid prescriptions, the vast majority exist amongst older adults and actually the overall death toll from the use of opioids in Canada um, is amongst older adults. We just never talk about this population. And that's why we really wanted to kind of raise the issue um, so that we could really appreciate where the burden is um, and uh, and where and the things that we can actually do to address it. Can we go behind that headline, if you will, take a look at some of the other findings in this work? Yeah. So the so the other findings really you know stem from the fact that you know what drives the fact that we have um, such a high rate of of utilization of opioids in Canada in particular, and it really stems from the fact that we're not really educating our prescribers. Um, as well as they could in, in terms of appreciating, number one, that often there are other safer alternatives that can be used first before reaching for an opioid prescription. And that we often also neglect to realize that older people react to medications differently than younger people. So they might not tolerate the usual prescription strength that we might give for younger people, and they might encounter more complications, everything from uh, constipation to increased risks of confusion and 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 other aspects. And so I think these are the things that were really helpful. That when we documented uh, these things, it's really helpful to see that yes, while 
opioid prescriptions are now starting to decrease amongst our older population across Canada, which is a good thing. The actual utilization of them um, in this population is still far higher than where it needs to be. So, as we know, Canadians experience more chronic pain compared to uh, any other age group, meaning older Canadians, and opioids are commonly used in order to uh, treat the pain symptoms. So, do we look at current prescribers or do we look at who's teaching the strategies, the pain management strategies to the prescribers who are administering or prescribing the opioids to older Canadians? It's a great question, Bob, and I think it's the idea that it's, it's I, th- I would say both, for example. Like, number one, we have to make sure that anybody who's given the privilege of being able to prescribe an opioid medication um, should um, be making sure that they have all the knowledge to, to, to do it properly um, and do it well. And so that means that even regardless if you didn't learn things in medical school or in, 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 in other schools, that it's on, it's on us to stay up to date and make sure that we can get access to that type of learning. But, you know, you, you raise the point, you know, where are people learning this information or, or, or what's being covered in our curriculums? And we have to look at um, our curriculum and, and what we're actually teaching people because, you know, I think we're not actually spending enough time teaching geriatric care principles and, and also uh, making sure that people fully appreciate that these can be very useful and helpful medications, but we have to prescribe them um, uh, appropriately. And and we have to make sure that we also appreciate that sometimes there are other things we can do first before we actually need to use opioids or by using other things or concomitant therapies, we can sometimes lower the amounts that we actually even need to use in the end. Sounds like a little bit of uh, ageism thrown in there as well. Well, I think the key is is that when we don't actually, when most medical schools don't actually have core curriculum around geriatric medicine, yet all of them do around pediatric medicine, you start realizing that when you don't actually um, make sure that our future medical and, and other healthcare professionals know about uh, the principles of caring for older adults, um, it means that we can easily miss or, uh, or or not appreciate the issues involved in caring for them. And I do think that there's societal ageism and just a real lack of recognition about these blind spots that we have. And by correcting them, I think we can make a significant improvement in the use of this important medication in this population so that we can use it more appropriately and get better health outcomes for older Canadians as well. Would those that you just touched on be some of the recommendations you and the team are making? Absolutely. So we make um, a few really clear recommendations about the importance of, 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 of having this sort of data that really helps us keep an eye on what's happening, but really focusing on real calls to action to make sure that, um, that we're making sure that our healthcare practitioners are getting the right types of education, that we create guidelines, especially in places like long-term care settings where these are very commonly used as well, uh, and making sure uh, that uh, that we are um, really approaching um, the use of opioids in our older population in a much more thoughtful way. Dr. Samir Sinha, co-author of the National Institute on Aging's latest report, Out of Sight, Out of Mind, addressing the invisible and older faces of Canada's opioid crisis. I'm Bob Komsik, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. 
Coming up, the great one, not named Wayne Gretzky. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, offering members-only discounts that can save you thousands of dollars a year. Find out more at carp.ca. Think hockey, Gretzky comes to mind. Think just about almost anything else in Canada, and Gene Augustine comes to mind. Or, at least should, the Grenada-born Canadian recently turned 86, the same day the Caribbean Tales International Film Festival celebrated its 18th year with the first presentation of the Augustine Award of Excellence. No point me running down the entire list of her accomplishments, recognitions, and awards, as there'd be no interview since the list is that long. Some highlights, though. First black woman MP, cabinet minister. Parliamentary secretary to then-Prime Minister Jean Chrétien. First Ontario Fairness Commissioner. After leaving that job, she's continued working with many organizations for education and social justice. Be honest, have you ever sat down and counted up all the things associated with you or named after you or in your honor, or did you start and then decided to stop? <laughs> no, actually, I am so honored and humbled uh, by all the accolades, the awards, uh, the, the things that have been named after me. And uh, sometimes I, I walk saying to myself, my goodness, only in Canada this can happen, that someone would come as an immigrant, start at the bottom and work her way up, uh, you know, from household um, uh, duties. Uh, to uh, to school board administration, to uh, you know, to be the first black woman in uh, in the Parliament of Canada, and all the other uh, things in between that I've been able to accomplish because of who we are as Canadians, a society where diversity is appreciated, where immigrant status does not deter one from full participation. And um, and the opportunities to meet people like yourself and others who are allies and who recognize what we must do to make the society just and fair and equitable and all the things that we want, not only for ourselves, but also as we build this uh, this Canada. I just noted a couple more here as you were speaking there. Yes. There was legislation to protect disadvantaged low-income individuals, including single mothers. Raising yes. children. And yes. you managed to secure unanimous support to pass historic motion, which designated February Black History Month in Canada. It just goes on and on with you, it seems. Yeah, and this is really, this, um, Bob, this is really a legacy and uh, something that, um, that I'm very, very proud that I was able to get my colleagues uh, to unanimously agree that. Black Canadians have been here since 1603, that we have been participating in Canadian society, that uh, we have um, a diverse African-Canadian community, and to agree that um, that February will be acknowledged and celebrated as Black History Month in Canada. Is there any, I'm putting you on the spot, is there any one or two that 
continually pop into your mind when you're asked, what are you most proud of? Yes. Number one, and especially if my kids are around, I make sure I say I have two lovely daughters and two beautiful grandsons. And um, secondly, I think uh, that legacy of um, the, the motion to create Black History Month in Canada and uh, the other is really the um, the motion that got the statue of the famous five on Parliament Hill, because prior to that there were nothing representing women uh, on Parliament Hill or signaling any kind of representation for women. So the person's case and uh, the statue of those women who in 1920-something stood up and got uh, women recognized as persons in Canada. That statue uh, sitting on Parliament Hill as a really physical representation and reminder of uh, that motion <laughs> that I I was able to place in the Parliament of Canada. Okay, so you're proud, very proud as anyone who's done what you've done should be. But at the same time, are you ever blown away by what you've what you've done? Yes, I am blown away and I'm humbled by the blowing away, that every every so often uh, there is a Pugina Augustine Park that's very close to where I live. And every time I drive past the park, I say, my goodness, I came here with one small suitcase and I think less than $20. Here I have a park named after me and my name is on this park as I drive by, uh, you know, once or twice a day. So I'm always very grateful. But I go back to what I've said earlier that Canadian society offers opportunities for one to reach one's full potential with um, hard work, with um, acknowledging um, that there there is just so much that we all have to put our shoulders to as we build the society, because I think Canada is still a work in progress. I'm going to take liberty with, with a phrase, and I'm going to bestow upon you a nickname. Yes. Gene of All Trades Augustine. Not Jack, but Gene of All Trades Augustine. And it fits. It fits, it fits. Well, you know the old um, the old saying, Jack of All Trades and Master of None. Yeah, I left that part out. I'd say you're you're master of a few. Uh, and there is also another saying that, you know, I and I say this quite often, I know a lot. I know a little bit about a whole lot of things. <laughs> True Canadian legend, Jean Augustine. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Bob Comsick for Libby Snymer. And thanks for joining me. Be sure to come back next week and stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Huddy and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.